All right, so we're going to dive in. Pastor Eric is away. Um, he takes a lot of vacations, right? Am I right? No, just me? All right, he deserves all the vacations. But he did tell me that uh, for this Sunday, we're not going to start a new series, and we just wrapped up our old series. So that gave me a free Sunday to bring to you whatever was on my mind. And some of you just thought, oh man, she's going to make us go through an entire book of the Bible. Yes, I am. And it's going to be great. So buckle up. Uh, I actually went through this book of the Bible about three years ago. And then I was worried that maybe this would sound repetitive for those of you who are with us our first year as a church. And then Pastor Eric said, nobody remembers the sermons by the next week. (laughs) I was a little sad about that, but thankful that I could kind of rework some of this. But Three years ago, I took us through the book of Jonah, and I think it is a great fit uh, for this sort of in-between things on Sunday, especially following the series that we just wrapped up, talked a lot about self-denial and constantly, continuously dying to that self-nature, that flesh nature. Um, We talked about self-denial when it comes to seeking out holiness and sanctification. Dr. Bowser talked about that, Um, and then Pastor Eric talked last week about self-denial when it came our finances. So I always think of the story of Jonah for this, um, and I think about just the lessons that he learned and how truly living for God impacts the world around us. It doesn't, doesn't just do something for our own lives. It truly impacts the world around us. It's a story about self-sacrifice. It's a story about purity in our hearts, faithful obedience to God, and how we serve a great and loving God, because he first served us. So we're going to talk a little bit about serving others today as well and how we view others in order to work in service. So when I think of that, I think of food service first. Who has ever worked in food service? All right. Oh, that's a lot of you, actually. Is it a a typical first job or entry into some things? Uh, That was true for me, too. It was my first job. And I worked in food service for one day. (laughs) I lasted a day. I was 15 years old, and it was a friend who invited me to work at his family's restaurant. So it was an all-Chinese-speaking restaurant. And the only position that I was allowed to have was bus girl because I did not speak Chinese. I'm Italian. I don't speak that either. And ironically, this restaurant flipped into an Italian restaurant at night. It was a Chinese restaurant during the day, and then we'd have to flip it and set it up to be an Italian restaurant at night. Um, Didn't work at the Italian restaurant, worked at the Chinese restaurant because that was my friend and his family. So I am bus girl at this dim sum service, and all the waiters who speak Chinese and are interacting with the customers and explaining the meals um, would take their carts around, and then the guests there would take the food off the cart that they wanted. Well, as bus girl, my job was to notice which food they were finished with and go ahead and take that in the moment and put it on my cart. Except I never understood a thing about who was finished with what, and I would confidently reach in for a plate, except for was a plate like for sauce. You know, if they're sauceless, I I think that you're done. But no, no, that's the plate that they needed for their sauce for this other thing. So I just, I wasn't getting it. I wasn't hip. Uh, So I just, I had a system where I would kind of do like a thing, and then I would say, you done? And then they would put it on the cart for me. And it was great. Like, I just had a signal, all right, you're done. You put it on the cart for me. This is what I was capable of doing. I could do this. <laughs> like, all right, I got this handled. And I thought I, I had it really worked out until uh, another busboy shift ended, 
And then someone took his place, and he's also bussing the carts around, right? Um, except for he did not like my system. He wanted to be faster, more efficient, and he wanted to do the right thing and just take the plates and put them on the cart. And he's kind of signaling to me, uh, more, get more plates on your cart. Okay, I'm getting more. And looking back, I'm realizing that may not be what he was telling me to do because I had stacked so many plates on my cart that when I went to go wheel it away, the entire cart crashed in the middle of the restaurant. Every plate, all the sauce, everything in the middle. Ah, I've never had a more devastating moment, and that's not an easy fix. So for a solid 15 minutes, I'm on the floor just clink, 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 clink. I'm so sorry. And I worked under the table that day because it was just through a friend. So uh, they charged him for all the broken plates. And I still feel miserable about that uh, to this day. So food service was not for me. Uh, You know, praise you for all of you who worked or do work in food service because serving others is exhausting. Uh, You know that people are exhausting. And it makes us wonder, like, why do we bother? And, And a lot of us do serve Sometimes uh, That's one thing I especially love about this church. I'm proudly wearing my Impact Church Difference Maker t-shirt here. A lot of you are part of our care and outreach team. A lot of you who aren't even necessarily part of the team, you're out and you're serving. Um, I feel like we're always out in the community. Most of us do serve. I mean, we have different reasons for that. Maybe you were raised right. I like to think that I was raised right to understand, like, yep, you just serve others. It's a logical right thing to do. I think of my dad and my grandfather were just always people who were known in the community. They just, at a moment's notice, serve others. There was one time uh, my parents and I were driving down our neighborhood, and my dad just abruptly stops the car, pulls over, gets out, like rushes out. This is before cell phones, so we can't call him and say what's up. Also, my dad doesn't have a cell phone in this year, in this day and age. He does not have a phone. So either way, there was no getting a hold of dad to say, why'd you pull the car over? What are you even doing? You just left. This is weird. Um, So we look down, and he's like a couple houses down. uh, And he's there for about five minutes, and he comes back, and he says... Yeah, I was, we were passing. I noticed um, there was an older man just kind of leaning in his chair as if he was stuck. And then there was another older lady like trying to get like reposition him in his chair. And they just looked like they were struggling. So I just pulled over and I, I helped him. And I just thought, wow, I would not have done that. I just get in my own head and think, oh, I don't want to interrupt or I, I don't want to, like, that's not my interrupt. I, I don't know. I get in my own head and I convince myself, well, I'm not needed here. I can't you know, insert myself as quickly and naturally as my dad does, just quick to help others. Um, Some of us serve because we know it improves our overall health. There are so many studies that show that people who live longer, happier, healthier lives, uh, they were more generous in their life. Uh, There's a direct connection there. There are some studies with literal MRI scans taking two groups of people, one group being more generous than the other, and different areas of the brain are lighting up uh, in, in zones that are showing that they're more happy the more generous they were. It's pretty cool. But what moves us beyond serving who we like when we like? What causes us to basically serve radically, serve when it's inconvenient, serve at a moment's notice, serve people who will never say thank you, serve people who seem like they don't deserve it? Or how about people who are openly or directly horrible to us or horrible to our family or weren't very nice to our own kids. 
Convenience, time, health benefits, following rules, none of that is why we serve. We serve because we first have been served. That's it. Everything else will fade away. I believe if we understand that principle, if that grounds us in how we live, if we remind ourselves daily that we serve others because we have been served, it will radically change not just your life, but it will start to impact those around you. Try living that way for 24 hours, and I promise you, just see what happens. So growing up, I always heard the story of Jonah. I think it's going to fit really well here. Um, Even though I wasn't a Christian growing up, um, I didn't become a Christian until my adult life, uh, I always heard the story of Jonah. It was just one of those like popular fables. You all know the story of Jonah. Um, in the messages in it are, are pretty straightforward, right? Like follow and obey God and God loves everyone. That's sort of the lesson that we learned at the end there. But I read it for myself a while back and then I realized how much of a broken character Jonah really was. How much of a broken character he really was. So we're going to read most of the story together. We're going to mark places where I'm going to give you homework and you're going to go home and you're going to read that. But it's just four short chapters. It's totally doable. Um, It's a super interesting read. So we're going to read most of the story together. I told you to buckle up. So let's dive in. All right. And start right at the beginning. Chapter 1, verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. All right, so we know Jonah is a prophet. What do prophets have to do? They have to go prophesy and tell the truth about God and go save the people for whoever they're talking to. And we know what's going to happen next. Jonah is about to run and say no. His flesh spirit is reigning. He is, you know, on his own mission. Nope, not going to do it. Now, don't judge Jonah too harshly. When you mentioned Nineveh back then, the capital of Assyria, you knew what God meant by the phrase, it's wickedness. So Jonah knew what went on there. We get a glimpse of what the city of Nineveh was actually like from another book of the Bible in Nahum, uh, another prophet who described the city of Nineveh in this way. Listen up, not pretty. Woe to the city of blood full of lies, full of plunder, never without victims, the cracks of whips, the clatter of wheels, galloping horses and jolting chariots, charging cavalry, flashing swords, glittering spears, many casualties, piles of dead, bodies without number, people stumbling over corpses. Nobody wants to go there. Of course Jonah didn't want to go there. That sounds awful. But there is something even deeper going through Jonah's mind and his heart that we're going to see at the end of his story. But like I said, we all know what happens next. He says, no, he runs away. So let's keep going. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind to the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. Whoa. So God's not done yet. 
Even the sailors in the ship knew that this was not an ordinary storm. This is a supernatural storm. These sailors are going to extreme measures to figure out how can we control this? How can we fix this? They went through all the possible religions. They made sure every sailor called upon his God. All right, uh, God of the sun. Do we try him? Okay, maybe weather has something to do with it. God of the sea. That makes sense. Let's pray to him. Doug, how about that rabbit's foot that you always carry around? Super weird and creepy. Did you try shaking it? Okay, I don't know what else we can do here. They went through the checklist. They're not figuring it out. They are so desperate. They even threw the cargo off. That's a big deal. This isn't random boxes that are just have weight on the ship. These are their resources to survive the trip. This is how they're likely going to make money when they get to their next port. It's a big deal. They're just throwing it overboard. It's not working. But here's what happened next, which is very interesting. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and he fell asleep. He fell asleep. How is he asleep? He is not only asleep through a terrible storm, but he has enough peace that he fell asleep even after telling God no. Like, how is he not tossing and turning? At least a little bit remorseful, right? Isn't, aren't you a little uncomfortable? How can you sleep so peacefully? Have you ever canceled plans? Have you ever canceled Saturday morning plans and you get to sleep in? And isn't that the best sleep that maybe you have ever felt, right? So Jonah has canceled some big plans and he is sleeping like a baby. He's honestly relieved right now. But the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Basically, we've tried everything. We've tried everyone possible. We tried the God of the sun, God of the sea, Doug's rabbit foot. We're out of ideas. You're the only guy left down here. It has to be you. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. But Jonah's not playing ball, and he doesn't pray to his God yet. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let's cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. And God's like, all right, I know that game. Let's, uh, let's draw straws. Let's figure this out. So they cast lots, and the lot fell to Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? Where's your country? From what people are you? And isn't it amazing how Jonah answers? He answered, I am a Hebrew. And I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and dry land. Huh. All of a sudden, it came back to him. He remembers who he serves. He can recite to this group of people his religious talking points. He can go through his list. He can go through the motions. Even in the midst of radically disobeying God, he can just say it. How often is this true for us? How often is this true for us that we can speak truth with our words in front of people? Yep, I'm a Christian. I believe Christ died for me. Been a Christian for decades. Yep, I, uh, I serve. I serve at Impact Church. I went to that outreach. I'm good. I got it covered. Yet in reality, we're alone, asleep on a boat set to cruise control away from God. Jonah's story continues. The storm only gets rougher. And Jonah said to them, Fine, pick me up 
Throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And they didn't want to do it at first. It says that they continued to try to solve the problem on their own. They're trying to row to land to maybe get Jonah onto some land. They didn't want to be responsible for his death, but ultimately they gave in. They tossed him overboard, and the storm stopped. And it's actually pretty cool. In verse 16, there's a little revival on the boat. So it says, uh, at this time, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So that's pretty cool. Everybody on the boat was saved and knew the Lord God. Uh, But we all know what's going to happen next to Jonah. Verse 17, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. I know a lot of people in the Christian faith debate back and forth. Is this a literal story? Is it a parable? You know, it's not possible for someone to survive in a fish for three days. Hey, there's a lot of symbolism here. It's really just a parable. Um, I have a lot of thoughts on this, but I will just say, don't put my God in a box. If he wants to throw a guy in a fish to teach him a lesson, he can do that. And he can keep him supernaturally alive for three days. I'm fine with that. And I believe that he did. I believe that this is a literal story. I believe Jonah was actually inside of a smelly, disgusting fish, somehow supernaturally protected, and that, yes, there is symbolism, and it is intentionally woven in to Jonah's literal time in that fish because inside the fish, Jonah begins to pray like he has never prayed before. This is where you're going to mark your story. You're going to take it home, and you're going to read chapter 2 of Jonah's prayer. It's beautiful. It is a moment where he is just recommitting himself to God and God's mission. Um, and the end of that prayer, and then we'll move on, just says, uh, what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. So Jonah's ready. He's ready to recommit. Through a life-altering experience, God met Jonah right where he was at in the midst of his disobedience and shook him awake. So next, it says here in uh, chapter 3, this is one of my favorite little moments too. You almost don't catch it. Uh, So after he's vomited onto dry land, it says the fish vomited him out. Uh, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it the message I give to you. I love that. The word of the Lord came to him a second time. Praise God for second times, for second chances. Every time we're given a second chance, a third chance. Some of us are on like our 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th chance today. Jonah's story teaches us that it is never too late. Even prophets don't get it right the first time. Jonah's story shows us that you can tell God no, You can sail to the other side of the world, but when you come back, he is ready to pick up where you left off. God's saying, okay, I have been waiting for you. Let's go. Some of us have been sailing in the other direction for years. Maybe some of us have more in common with Jonah than we realize because we are Christian. Some of us hear the story and you're thinking, oh, that's for the totally lost people. Yeah, they they finally need that second chance to come back to God. And that's true. That's awesome. But maybe we're more like Jonah than we realize. We are a Christian. We're rooted in our faith. We know these verses. Oh my gosh, Michelle, I can't believe you're telling that Jonah story again. We know this one. We've got that. We confess our sins. We study the Bible. We spend time with God. And if we were on a boat and we were asked who we serve, we would proudly say God. 
and we might even sleep like babies at night. We're rooted in that faith tradition, but we're not rooted in his mission or his call in our life. We're not rooted or bought into or trusting where he's called you to go or who he's called you to serve. When it comes to serving and how to treat others, I bet you've gotten a clue. I bet you've gotten a feeling. Some of you have gotten a direct ask from God, just like Jonah has, and you've said no. There are lots of ways to say no. Ignoring, reasoning, good reason. I am serving God. I'm serving God. Here, 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 here. So this other thing that keeps creeping up, well, I mean, but I'm still doing the right thing over here. There are lots of ways that we say no to God and we reason that we're not doing it. We're self-deceiving in that. If there's like an aha moment that's happening for some of you, hold on to that. You might be saying no to that for decades. Hold on to it now. And I hope you get your second chance minus the boat and the fish. We can all learn from Jonah to serve others and live for him and not ourselves. We have been called part of God's mission in some way, um, whether you're like the Jonas and the Nahums, the prophets of the world serving as teachers, or you're Pauls of the world serving as starting churches, or you're Esthers of the world serving in leadership, we all know that we have been given different gifts and talents to be plugged in to God's greater mission. So I'm going to break off for a moment of Jonah's story, and we're going to come back to the ending. But I did just want to speak to First Peter uh, talks about how we are all given unique gifts to serve him because this goes beyond just the leaders of the church. This goes beyond those who are called to be those teachers and prophets. This is for everybody. So 1 Peter uh, chapter 4, 10 and 11 say, each of you, that's all of us church, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. If anyone speaks, that's you. We all speak. If anyone speaks, you're doing so for God. If anyone serves, if anyone has actions that they're doing for others, we do so for God. Whatever gifts, maybe you've been gifted with patience just a really patient person. What's that like? And I'll take some notes. But if you're a really patient person, maybe God's calling you to serve in kids ministry. If you're gifted with joy and hospitality, that sounds like greeting team. If you've been gifted with hands and feet and the ability to pick things up and put things down, that sounds like set up and tear down team. We have all been gifted with different gifts and abilities. But if, if that were my mission here, just like a sales pitch on how to serve here, I would be doing God's word a great disservice, and I would be doing you a great disservice because we don't want something from you. We want something for you, and that's true for God and what he's doing with Jonah too. He didn't want Jonah to blindly obey. He wanted something bigger for Jonah, and what Jonah needed to hear from God, he got it. There's a big lesson revealed at the end of Jonah's story because God didn't want something from Jonah. He wanted something for him. It's a very strange ending. 
I was shocked when I first read it. Honestly, I was thrown off um, and a little grumpy. I had to read it several times. Have you ever read the ending of Jonah? It, it's odd. It's like investing in a, a movie that you've watched, and then the ending just, ooh, it, it confuses you or lets you down. Um, there's a movie that does that for me. We established in family service what that was. Uh, Ryan Reynolds, he's buried in a box underground. I think it's called Buried. Yep. Don't watch it. Terrible. I invested so much energy in this film only to have it end the way that it did. Um, I kind of am tempted to give spoilers so that no one watches it. Um, But I kind of felt that way when reading Jonah's story. I invested all this energy. Man, Jonah, you went through all that and it ended this way? I just don't get it. I had to read it literally a dozen times. So let's read that ending, and I'm going to kind of share with you the aha moments that I picked up. So we're fast-forwarding through chapter 3. That's another chapter I want you to go through and read. We're on the other side now that Jonah did obey. He did listen. He did preach to the people of Nineveh. He did share God's word, and guess what? They were saved. They all turned from their wickedness. Those same people with the sin and the dead bodies and all that gruesome stuff from the beginning, they all turned away from that. They were saved. God was able to use them for his glory. It's exciting. But at the end in chapter 4, right after everyone was saved, look what's revealed in Jonah's heart. It says, But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than live. God, uh, uh, Jonah would rather die than see people be saved. He admitted that he knew God would be merciful, and he didn't like it. I don't know about you, but I would have fired Jonah from being my prophet. (laughs) Why don't you go find a bus job and start serving and taking away plates? Like, that's pretty much your level. Uh, A prophet's goal was to take God's message, to save people, and connect them to God, and lead them to mercy. Jonah knew that. He knew God's power to save the people of Nineveh, and that is exactly why he didn't want to do it. That's such a dark, twisty part of Jonah's story that they leave out of the kids' version. It's not that he wanted to avoid Nineveh because it was dangerous. It's that he didn't want to see those dangerous people saved. He made it up in his mind. They weren't worth it. But God is relentless. God is relentless, not only for the people of Nineveh who are far from God, but for Jonah. God's about to be relentless for Jonah's heart, in whose heart we're learning it was about as far from God as the people of Nineveh were. God didn't want something from Jonah or for him to blindly obey or to blindly serve. He wanted something for Jonah. And Jonah still just wasn't getting it. So he is on top of the mountain of that city, looking down at the people, just kind of waiting for them to screw up, still kind of hoping maybe they'd get what they deserved. But God is relentless for Jonah's heart. Listen to what he does here. So Jonah's up on this mountain. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. 
And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said. I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it, you did not make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Boom. That's it. That's the last line. (laughs) That's how it ends. What's going on? We have no idea what Jonah's thinking. What does he do? What do you do with that? And what an interesting line, and also many animals. Uh, Okay. Uh, Where do we go from here? But what, what is that? It is the last lesson, this last final attempt to reach Jonah's heart. You care about this plant? You didn't even grow it. You didn't even take care of it. Shouldn't I have concern for the people of Nineveh, who I created, people who I love, people who don't know any better yet without our help? How many of us fall in Jonah's trap of serving just to serve? We can serve with our words. Some of us have become really good at serving with our actions when all the while we are as miserable as Jonah is in his heart. We can set up the chairs. We may not care about the people who sit in them. We can hand out the meals at the food pantry, but do we consider that once they drive away the next day, they could be that person in front of us at the green light who didn't go? Right? That takes time. That takes a whole new radical view of humanity. And although the ending of Jonah's story seems very abrupt and confusing, there are really important things that happen there, and I want you to catch it. The phrase, the Lord God provided, is used four different times. The Lord God provided a big fish. The Lord God provided a plant. The Lord God provided a worm. The Lord God provided a scorching wind. Three out of four of those don't seem super provision-like. I would like to skip the fish, worm, and wind. Uh, But God provided these supernatural messages to wake him up and win him back. So church, what storm, what great big fish is in your life that God is trying to shake you awake with and get off the boat? And start going in God's direction. After all that, after his second chance, Jonah still missed that we serve because we have been served. We serve because we first have been served. I want to believe this story is open-ended for a reason so that we can fill it with hope that Jonah did here, that final message Uh, for him, but I don't want you to miss it today. I want you to be able to connect the dots with Jonah's story and God's story. I don't want you to walk out of here today missing that. So like I said before, this is not just a parable. God is an amazing writer, an amazing creator. He wove in intentional imagery and purposefully designed elements of Jonah's story so that it would speak truth in the gospels for years to come. How many days was Jonah in the fish? 
audience participation. Thank you. And in the gospel, Matthew recalls a moment when Jesus was talking with the Pharisees in chapter 12. Matthew's gospel in verse 38 says, Matthew reports, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But Jesus answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Jesus is here. God has served us by sending his only son. The Lord God provided his only son to be broken for our sins, to die on a cross, to be buried in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights, to rise again, proclaiming something great for us, proclaiming the provision of forgiveness for when we sail in the other direction, atonement for when we finally come back, Mercy, when he gives us a second chance, a third one, a twelfth one. And he provides for us a calling as he requires us to use our gifts to serve others and to see those who are serving as he sees them. God has served us in the greatest way he ever could. And we can serve because he first served us. And if you believe that, if you get that, if that clicks, if you live that way in your words, in your deeds, and in your heart, if you see people the way that Jesus sees them, I believe it will radically change your life and the world around you. It just will. This church is going to be different. This community is going to be different. God's love is relentless. He will never stop seeking after you. He will never stop seeking after you. But why go through all that? Skip the vote. Avoid the fish and the worm and the wind. Let's get there now. Let's decide today how we're going to see people, how we're going to serve people truly and purely as God first served us. Praise him for his son. So let's pray over that together, will you, church? God, thank you so much for your son that makes this all possible. We serve because you first served us. God, I pray that you challenge us today. Who is in our life that can be difficult to serve, God? In our families, in our friendships? Or is it the complete strangers who, for whatever reason, we just don't give them an identity? They're just the person who's driving wrong. (laughs) They're the person who... Man, I can't believe they treated my kid like that. I can't believe they said things this way. God, we just have mercy on us. We are sorry for that, God. We pray for those people who we didn't give that identity to, but their identity is in you, God. They are your sons and your daughters, and we are ready to act that way. We're ready to live that way. We're ready to serve others just as you served us because we didn't deserve it either. God, thank you for Jesus who makes it all possible. In his name, amen.